Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. Today's guest has been one that I have been courting for the better part of mm-hmm. two years to come on the show, but due to COVID and babies and whatever other things go on in his life, uh, we weren't able to get him into today. But today we have Matt Henderson. So some of you may know him, some of you may know of him, some of you may know him through his brother, or his sister, or his father. They are kind of this kind of plant city brand and royalty. Well, I knew of the Henderson family far before I ever knew who Greg or Matt was. I mean, my, my in-laws used to talk about Dr. Henderson constantly. So what, what kind of type of doctor is your dad? Uh, he's an ophthalmologist. He did, um, some, is that eyes? Yeah, it's eyes. Okay. Okay. But I mean, I guess in Brandon or Plant City, there's just that the the ophthalmologist and the orthodontist. So <laughs> yeah, like pro- they built a moat around their business, man. They're big monopoly guys. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean, he's he got got pretty big up that way, didn't he? No, he did. He's 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 a super genuine dude. So he kind of has a lot of uh, retention when it comes to people. But he did internal medicine, so he's uh, a lot of doctors like to tease ophthalmologists. But he's he knows what's up. He's OG. He's oh, legit for sure. For sure. Is he a Florida guy originally, or did he move here? Yeah, man. My my family's old citrus farmers, so we grew up like we have roots in Dover and Dover, v- Dover Valrica. That's, that's where I grew up. To go back, shoot to like the 19th century for the most part. So you're old school Florida, big time, cracker, man. just yeah. straight cracker. Well, um, now there. I, there's actually four of you, isn't there? I, I've met right. your sister, mm-hmm. and obviously Greg and I know each other. But there's a there's another brother that I've not met. What's it, what's his story? That's Dave. He's he's the middle brother. So it's Greg, Dave, me, and then Kristen. And uh, these he he was the one that used to really give it to me growing up, man. So Greg's the oldest. He is. So yeah. Greg, Dave, mm-hmm. Matt, and then your sister. Your sister name's Kristen. Kristen. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen her. Every Zoot show, she comes in <laughs> and about the, the the third set to do the the hip hop portion. Yeah, man, we'll it's talk about Zootsmith <laughs> in a minute, but um, she's a trip. She is, man. It's always fun to plan around her because it's like Axl Rose or like Jim Morrison in the bloated phase where you like never know they're going to show up on yeah, time. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun to construct a set list. She always seems that. to kind of come in like <laughs> right at the last minute. And, yeah, like, and you have a bunch of sweaty dudes wearing like Columbia fishing shirts with Gators logos on it. And then she walks up like, you know, Ariana yeah. Grande or, or whoever. Puts out of parliament with like stilettos. Right, right, right. <laughs> She's a trip. So, um. So you're, you're old school Florida. You lived in that part of town all your life? Yeah. I mean, um, I I ended up going to Berkeley, like for some reason. We used to commute to Val, um, from Valrico. So like I started kind of having more Tampa roots around middle school, high school, but we were definitely a Valrico born race. Now, where did music enter your life? Was that around the house as a kid? Was your dad into music? Was it being played in the house or was that something through school or? Yeah, you know, my dad wasn't as much of a music fan. Um, My mom was a huge music fan. So that was kind of a a big boost to it. She was into bands like The Doors. So I just like gravitated towards that stuff immediately. But when I was super young, I, I think I heard. I remember seeing like Lethal Weapon three, like, and uh, was that Sting or who? Dude, it was um, <laughs> it's actually Mel Gibson. No, um, they had this like Boys to Men song in it. That okay. I just remember loving as a little Fucking dude. Like Boys to Men was huge. So I grew up loving like Shy and Boys to Men when I was like six and seven, and that. Well, what was that? What was the club that was in Plant City or Brandon? Like the underage club, like oh, Outer shit, Limits, man. or it's called Sandusky's. Right? Oh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I forget. <laughs> it's the back room at the Dallas yeah, Bowl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um. 
but was it were there instruments in the house or yeah we had one um really nice piano so i kind of started and dabbled on that and then i kind of had this weird cathartic moment where i remember waking up like halfway through the november rain video and it was, was a long like, video that was yeah. a long song so i was just like what is this and it was like slash's solo so i was like i have to learn this immediately so i started on piano and then by the end of it was like guitar's cooler what I mean, was the like, first guitar um, I had a Washburn acoustic that okay. I, just, I just beat into the ground. I remember, I forget, it had to be like late 80s, early 90s, but I felt like everybody had a Washburn or those ovations that had like all the holes in them. <laughs> yeah. Like super like hair metal-y acoustic right. guitars that they would always do the ballad on. That's It's weird. The ovations always like slid off of me. Like the back was because well, they had that weird yeah. rounded back. It was like, yeah, it was like playing on a pillow or something but like, like depending that. upon the year like washburn made some really awesome stuff so it's definitely a good beginning guitar now self-taught or were you because you didn't have youtube yet back then so it was either self-taught watching mtv or going to lessons right? yeah it was it was i had some lessons i went to roydon and had this like really really creepy dude that taught me some power chords and then i kind of just went from there and then would occasionally pop in for lessons every once in a while the uh the more difficult my tastes were kind of going when i would do the Nirvana jump to Metallica to Iron Maiden. You kind of want to pick up a couple you things. You start to have to kind of learn music yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, you know, power sure. chords will get you through Nirvana, but you get to For Maiden sure. and some of these other bands and mm-hmm. you kind of got to know theory and scales and that sort of thing. So uh, what type of kid were you in high school? Were you a jock? Were you an academic? Were you a artsy? Were you just kind of you, you know, occupied always, all the world? My friend group always like was obsessed with music. So we kind of found the similar dudes that were into the similar type of bands like you know, Tool and Alice in Chains and uh, Metallica and stuff like that. But we always played sports. Like Berkeley at the time, we were like pretty bad at everything except like women's volleyball. So like everyone made the team. Yeah. So like we would just have these huge. So I mean, I played like every single sport. But um, yeah, no, it was a. Was, uh... And any bands in high school or? We had a lot of, we'd always get together and goof off and do, you know, from the bell tolls and a lot of the obligatory easier cover songs. So we would always get that once or twice a year performance like at school in front of the uh you know other students and stuff and would try to think of a cheeky nickname right like like therapist or something like that (laughs) (laughs) how much was your musical tastes or education uh modeled by your brothers or your sister um not a lot like there was a little bit like I, i remember my oldest brother had the black album on tape so i remember being like really young and like listening to songs like unforgiven and being like whoa but he uh, he got me into like a couple of Nas's like earlier albums, so like he kind of went through a big like hip hop phase. He started in guitar before he got on bass too, didn't he? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So were you guys playing at the same time or not really? He kind of like was straggling um, a little bit behind, but he kind of thought it was cool and picked it up and. Uh, he just never could cut it as guitarist, man. So it goes to bass. It's one of one of those guys. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yeah. <laughs> without without yeah, st- getting yeah, too yeah. corny or cheesy, no, you guys do not fit the mold, at least in my experience, of the type of people who are spending a lot of time in the room uh, learning their guitar. I mean, you're I, I'm probably not the first person to tell you that the Henderson children are not unattractive. Uh, <laughs> and, nice. and I would imagine that you guys are pretty popular in school. And so, whereas the, the, these instruments kind of become the refuge of those right. who are marginalized by their, their childhood. Yeah. You know, man, I, I was kind of like always the self-chosen outsider type. So I like, I was a little brooding, you know, you, you deep dive on stuff pretty early and you're into like, 
you know, bands like The Doors or you get like Bruce Dickinson solo albums, you're listening to some darker content and you combine that with like a puritanical uh, Southern Baptist upbringing. And it's just like, you know, you feel like you're naughty when you're listening to that stuff. So I kind of, I, I would definitely dip back and kind of do my own thing. But yeah, we were pretty, we have friends and stuff like that. You mentioned faith. Was faith a big part of your childhood or was it just kind of on the, the sidelines? It was kind of out there, but not something that was pushed on you too No, much? It was, it's really big. Like um, I always describe my dad as like one of the few like super genuine Southern Baptists that I know. Like he, he, he radiates it for sure. But um, you know, I was, I was like learning about the book of Revelation when I was like eight years old. So that kind of stuff can fuck with your head. Oh, and, sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, an eight-year-old brain trying to yeah, process yeah. some of that stuff. I don't know. It's, it's like, like alcohol. It's like, I just don't know if you're at the point yet to be able to put that where it needs to be right, right. in your brain. Even when you're older, man, it's just like more more Sermon on the Mount and less like, you know, seven-headed beasts and stuff like that. But. Right. So did you go straight into college or did you take any time off? To- no, I went, uh, I went right into college And you went to school. UF? I did, yeah. All right. And uh, tell me about that experience. I mean, so I should have probably started with this, but uh, my, so I knew of the Henderson family through my family. Then as an attorney, I knew his brother, Greg, because I was always like, who's that good looking dude who's a prosecutor? And like, he'd come up and say hi to my wife. And I was like, I don't want you talking to him. But, um, but that, so then I knew Greg through that. And then Chris Bryant, who's my cousin, yeah, come to find that out that mm-hmm. he and your family had this kind of, you know, path that crossed a bunch through life. And, right, and, right. and so then all these kind of things, there was like seven degrees of Matt Anderson just kind of all circling. And then I met you the first time I met you. Do you know where the first time I met you was? Shit, man. It's okay if you don't, but I, I now was. I mean, it was obviously before the Brent Hines thing. There was right? a Brent. No, it was the Brent Hines. Oh, it was thing. okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, now, I, so I saw you at play Zoots before the Brent Hines thing, but I actually talked to you at the Brent Hines thing, and then the next time after that was in the pit at the Slayer, Cannibal <laughs> yeah, Corpse, yeah, uh, Mon Amarth, uh, that concert. Yeah, that, was, that was a great uh, set, man. Holy shit. I was I mean, big, was, I've been a big Amon Amarth fan for a while too. So those guys always just rip dicks. Well, that whole yeah. thing had a, <laughs> that whole thing just, it kind of scratched a lot of itches because you've got Cannibal Corpse, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, if there's not a more Florida man band than Cannibal Corpse, just oh, totally, like, man. I mean, you know, you smell BO just listening to their music. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, you, you, it's like you're drinking a Mountain Dew hanging out at Circle K with like, you know, fucking someone fixing their car or something with cannibal no nah, man when i was a younger dude it like meant the world like we'd, we'd have local metal bands and like alex webster kind of sort of dug my band and um it just just hearing like a prop from a guy like that is like he's such a monster bass player but th- th- those dudes are uh tampa as hell for sure well and then brandon had this weird i've never heard of the whole nasty savage thing which still the name trips oh, yeah. me out but were you aware of them at all when you no were... not as much only in hindsight in yeah, hindsight yeah. it was like wow they were kind of a, a big deal like everybody kind of knew them and then there's sabotage and then the aside and morbid angel and obituary yeah. and so it's funny i don't know why tampa became this kind of weird you know it's those records at morris sound man I well for sure but i mean of all the places you would think death metal would – I mean, I guess it right. kind of makes sense because everybody's a little bit kind of tweaked here. And so – Right. No, it's funny to think that it's like a destination like internationally for people to come, you know, and uh, – Right. So you have Latin. You have this this you have this Latin salsa kind of underground here. You have death metal. There's some 
you know, the hip hop thing and the raps. I, I know hip hop, people probably don't call it hip hop anymore, but there's all these little things yeah. that are kind of mm-hmm. coming up right now. So anyways, you go straight to UF and uh, do you find footing musically there right away? Like, or do you have a bunch of friends that go up there with you? Yeah, or? you know, I was lucky to go up there. Um, I had a couple buddies that were older than me that went up there, like my buddy Zoots. And so they kind of laid. Wait a the second. There's work. a person called that. Oh yeah, there is for sure, man. Is that's, that what the name of the boy. band was after? Oh no, I mean, like it was. I mean, uh, I thought that was a cocaine reference. <laughs> no, no, we we do boof though. Yeah. Um, no, it was uh, my best buddies in high school were uh, Paul Sheets, Mark Hawkins, and uh, Chris Suits. And Mark and Chris were older, so they kind of took off. So he he went up a year before me in Gainesville. So I kind of got the vibe of going up there. Like I remember jumping up to Gainesville when I was a senior in high school to pick him up to go see Queens of Stone Age on the songs for the Deaf tour at the uh, House of Blues. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I, I kind of got a vibe for it up there. But, um, yeah, man, it was, it was pretty easy to fall in at first because we were always playing. But Well, Gainesville has such a – I mean, people who know about music know about Gainesville, right. but, like, people who are just kind of, you know, not so intimate with music don't realize what a big part of, like, Florida – you know, you know, Florida's history of music that Gainesville right. has. I mean, either you can go Tom Petty or you can go oh, yeah. ag- or you can go against me or you can mm-hmm. go hot water music or you can. Go, I mean, there's all these different. I, I do have to claim a little bit of ignorance, though, because like I was not as much immersed in that scene until later. I was kind of more being from like South Tampa and like my friends were in fraternities was immer- immersed in the cheese dickery that is like John Acoustic Guy playing at the Swamp or all these clubs, playing like – because that was the year I graduated in 03. So it was like the tail end of Dave Matthews being huge. And then there's like the Jason Mraz, John Mayer, Jack Johnson. And that was just ubiquitous at all the bars I went to. Well, I mean, you being you – Playing acoustic music at bars yeah. in Gainesville, I'm sure it was a, it was a fun time. <laughs> well, so it's funny though, man. Like it was like a, it, it all began like the college band we started was trying to be an anecdote to that uh-huh. because you know it was hard to catch a buzz and not like heckle some of these guys. So we were I was a little bit of a hater, like any young music fan or fan of anything could be. So we were like, all right, you know, let's let's start a band, but let's do Van Halen, ACDC, and Metallica, and all the stuff. Just basically. Uh, if whatever these dudes are getting for the setting the mood for all the chicks, like let's dry that up immediately. Right. And, I mean, uh, it's like the encore. Your set is just all encores. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what I love about it is the whole fucking set is just like any of these bands that you go to see. They're like, that's the song you're waiting for. And you guys just line those up. I, I'll, I'll get there in, in, in a little bit. I, I still want to hit some other stuff. But did mm-hmm. the Zoots in some form start during college? Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay. When our did band, it become- our band in college was called Decagon because we were trying to be obnoxious. So it was like a 10 sides of rock type of thing <laughs> just to uh, fuck with people. But, and, uh, anyhow, I didn't mean to. Was interrupt. Greg there? No, nah, Greg was back uh, being, I think he was working for the um, state attorney at that point. Was he point. undergrad there? Did he go no, there? he no. was uh, He was a local dude. He just, so you guys kind of had a period of your lives where you were living not together and thank experiencing God. each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's all good. What about Dave? Was he a UF guy? Or? No, I was, I was the first one um, to kind of get out of town and go away to school. Yeah. So I was uh, 
packed my bags and moved an hour and a half north. <laughs> well, it's funny because Gainesville it's is like both just next. far enough away. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's next. Well, I went to UCF, so mm-hmm. it was pretty much the same type thing. But um, was Dave a musician at all? No, he would always dabble. He's kind of like a natural talent in a lot of things. But uh, so he would always dabble on piano or guitar. We all kind of had the um, piano lessons growing up, but he never really uh, got off on it like I did. And what about your sister? When did she figure out she had pipes? She was, oh, yeah, she, she's uh, always been a diva, like very into it, very into singing. And then she just hits that like uh, frequency when she raps like Busy Bone which mm-hmm. I, I really dig and um so she was just a natural for all that stuff did she get you all in fights all the time like the <laughs> brothers like yeah, having a clean dudes. clean house after her pretty much i mean like the old the older dudes were kind of like significantly older so i had to deal with more fallout of going to the same high school with her but she was she was pretty cool i mean yeah. it was just one of those inevitable things like what you're gonna do right right yeah so straight through in four years or nah man i kind of was a giant fuck up in that regard um it's like one of those tell your younger self to like go to class things. When I was um, when I, towards the end of my junior year of high school, my mom died, and I kind of had a like uh, an umbilical cord severing where I just kind of drifted off and was like, "It's like what was that um, that movie? It's like I dabbled in nihilism a little yeah, bit." Yeah, <laughs> What was that movie? Oh yeah, The Basky. Fuck like it, yeah. <laughs> it was the movie. It's in my DNA. Yeah, just, yeah, you know. yeah. But so I mean, I was I was pretty like uh, I heard Mickey Mantle anecdotally tell this story one time, where like every male and like his side of the family died really young. So uh. he's like, "I'm gonna get fucked up every day," you know. But he lived, so he just like got cirrhosis and shit. Oh, for sure. So well, I was just kind of like you know? I don't know if he actually said this, but they're talking about women with small hands. He loved women with small hands <laughs> because it made the things look larger by perspective. <laughs> but uh, he's also into foot binding. Well. Take frequent <laughs> trips to get the Japanese league baseball players over. So, uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that because my brother-in-law, his father was a very well-known musician in Puerto Rico. And like to this day, we'll run into people who he looks just like him. So people will like, are you really? And he's like, yeah, but he passed away at like 38. And so now Uh like every year past when his father died that he lives it, it, it like fucks with him you know it's like oh yeah i'm yeah. now older than, time i'm now time. older than my dad was yeah. in his last day and it starts to fuck with you in your brain a little i bit. thought that about when i turned 33 and was older than jesus yeah so i was just like yeah yeah i got it on him too <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking loser man <laughs> make it past 33 no well it's the the thing that got me so i you know the thing that always fucks with me doing this podcast is I'm the only person who's been in every one of them. So I've heard myself tell the same story a million sure, times. Sure. So I just mm-hmm. expect that everybody else is listening and has. And so it kind of messes with me. But I bring this up a lot. But my dad died in 2018. And when my dad had me, he was 38. And so I had this weird thing when he passed where it's like I've now experienced a full term of life because I've lived as long as he was before I was alive. And then I was alive for the remainder of his life from there. Mm-hmm. So if you're putting those two things together, I've kind of seen the whole arc. Right. And I was like, something about that made it much more clear to me. And it's a trope, but how finite and short and quick everything is. Not for sure, man. So, you know, these days, you know, I've, you know, I'm teaching at the I'm teaching at UT. I'm doing this, doing the podcast, doing the governor thing. You know, I'm talking about maybe being on the board of directors for a radio station and people are like, how do you find time for it? And it's like, 
YOLO. Once, but once he died, it was mm-hmm. like I, tomorrow's not promised to me. So I gotta do do it all. But that's a good perspective to have, man. Because like the universe puts out some weird algorithms, and you don't know which one you're on, and when it'll when it'll come to an end. So. This is this is true. Um, politics somehow finds its way into your brain. Does that happen later yeah, in college, I, or when does that kind of? You know, man, kind of like with the upbringing that I had and being like super conservative, and my, my family is very you know right wing in a lot of ways. You grow up with a certain sense. So like post nine eleven, when you eventually do get a little older. And I'd say like the uh, squeegeeing my third eye thing came with actually starting to read Noam Chomsky and being like seeing the other side of the coin a little bit. Right. And so when all that folds back, you kind of I've always been like um, gravitated and admired like iconoclast and things like that. So I kind of have a, a outlaws. Certain, oh, yeah. Outlaws. Man, I mean, they're, they're the best. So I have like that sardonic take on the world anyway so i just um i'm pretty much where i am now as an equal opportunity hater but i got really into politics and i read a lot you worked in in it for a while well yeah yeah so that was an interest so i ended up well you you flunk out of every major you're in like i started out a chemistry major i went to biology so eventually you get your political science degree just like a lot of people out there i'm sure you know and i was qualified to do that so i kind of got an internship working up in tallahassee and came back and Worked for um, a local uh, county commissioner, actually, like a Hillsborough BOCC guy. He was a good dude. He was. He, I, I ran in Republican circles, so he was. He, he was a Republican fella, but his name was Al Higginbotham, and he was. He, he was a really guy. He was kind of wrapping up his career, and I was coming in pretty green. So we kind of hit each other at like those type of uh, cycles. But it was, it was a good experience for sure. How did it play in your family? Was it the source of arguments, or I mean, pre twenty sixteen, people didn't like you know yeah fight down to the bone about stuff they would argue but it was kind of like you know post 2016 it was like we just can't even talk about it we just no for sure it's it's a similar tone like when i started getting strong opinions about things it might as well be like my strong opinions about things now it's the pecking order of the family right of like where the third boy gets uh, i'm still gonna get no credit from anyone he'll grow out of it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that's funny um so uh you go through not four years playing the acoustic sets. When when do you you know when does the whole Zoots thing start to formalize? Because for me, I think it was twenty sixty. It was the last year that you guys p- played at the outdoor. Yeah, uh, Gaspar's Grotto. Yeah. So what year would that have been? Twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. Probably like five years ago. Yeah, and so Chris says I'm because my birthday is December seventeenth. He said I, I got a he goes, I got a birthday gift for you. And you guys usually do it on the twenty third or, or right around. It's usually then. the Saturday before Christmas. Saturday before Christmas. So. He's like, he's like, he's like, I got you. I'm taking you out tonight. And so, and I was sick too. And he took me there and I just sat at the table and I got there before you guys started. And somehow he must've got it from you or, well, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but he had the, he had the 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 set list. Mm -hmm. Oh shit. Yeah. And so I was sitting there and I was like, so like I knew what was it's like those apps you have now when you know you can when you can take a leak in a movie it was like yeah it was like okay I can I can run in and you know get a beer come back out and mm-hmm. fucking Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Andrew WK and Metallica and then your sister comes on and it's fucking Coolio and you know all this shit it was just like and I have told people and you know people get tired of listening to me talk about music you know people who don't love things as much as you do sure it's just oh, like, I get that for sure will you shut the fuck up about this guitar or will you shut the sure. fuck up about this skateboard or will you shut whatever the thing mm-hmm. is but I've been to 
a pretty good amount of concerts. Like that's always been kind of my thing. And I can tell, tell you there has not been a show with more joy injected per Aww. square inch than those shows. There's so much fun. And, and, and you have like, I don't know all told, but like how many people do you have tagging in and tagging out during a show? We probably peak out at like 25 people coming in and out. But I mean, and you're, how many songs? The most we've ever cranked out is in the high 60s. That's a, that's yeah, insanity. Yeah, they're marathons. They're, they're marathons. Well, not only that, but the pra- – I mean, because you guys aren't just walking in day of and playing all that shit. Like, you have to practice it or rehearse it a little bit. Yeah, it's a logistical clusterfuck, man. There's, like, no ways to actually plan a um, a practice around that type of stuff. Because one dude's always going to, like, fuck it up. Well, so, yeah. I, you know, I've I've talked to you a little bit about the band that, that I've got in its, you know, early stages of gestation. And fucking five people are nearly impossible to plan a practice around. Musicians are flakes, man. Oh, well, just, you yeah. know, and, and, I'm, and I've chose 45 years old with a three and a seven-year-old <laughs> as the time to stick my foot in the You're water. You're in your prime, man. Yeah, well, uh, it, so I can't even imagine with that amount of people and that amount of songs even trying to. But you guys pull it off every time. Yeah, it's. It, it's funny because it's like um, most of the people that play are like hobbyists. They're not really big musicians, so they only play one time a year. And uh, but, do, but don't out. undersell them. Like yeah, they oh, may no, be no, hobbyists, yeah, but they're fucking shredders or amazing oh, yeah. voices. And I, I've got. Fi- I wish you guys like sold fucking action figures. Like <laughs> I can go through my. Fi- I mean, obviously the yeah. Henderson brothers are the number one and two spot. But oh. there's the huge guy who always wears the gator shirt. Yeah, know. yeah. That's dude, that, that dude's lost um, 140 pounds, bro. But he's got sick range. I forget that if does. it's uh, what's the, what's the Almond Brothers one that you guys do. We create, uh, we do whipping post. Whipping post. Yeah, which is not a fucking easy song to play no, or he's, sing. He's perfect. He was he was tailor made for that. He's kind of got that uh, really awesome um, southern baritone. That, that that dude's name's Ben. Then you got the guy who always wears the basketball jersey. He's got a Van Halen tattoo on one yeah. shoulder and Opeth tattoo on the other shoulder. And he's a fucking shredder just doing crazy stuff on the guitar. Yeah, man. I love that dude. That's uh, that's Charles. Okay. He's, he's, he's my boy from Hotlanta that I met up in Gainesville. But doesn't he live in Orlando now or no? No, no. I just uh, I think he frequents the parks there. Uh, is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. <laughs> the ones he hasn't been re- trespassed from. Exactly. Uh, and then you got the guy with the fucking all the Pantera guitars that comes in towards the end of the show to do yeah. like the heavier music. It's it's always funny, man. Those dudes want to go on earlier, but it's just like it's it's a pretty. You can't start a show type, off with yeah. Rage Against the Machine. You got to hit yeah. that towards the end. But and those dudes are quintessential. Like if we want to play South of Heaven or something, that's 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 that, Brad. That's what we'll tag in. Yeah, yeah. But such a such an amazing show, such a breadth of material. I mean, everything from fucking you know, Elton John to fucking or not Elton John. Um, we, Billy no, Joel. We, we definitely, was, we definitely played Elton John. Yeah. I know, like this year, like Yellow Brick Roads on the list, and we, well, we they, had done. You've heard, you've heard Tiny uh, Tommy's yeah. cover of it. Yeah, do not to take a hard right turn. Let's take a hard right turn because right, I've dude. been wanting to talk about this with somebody. All right, dude. I uh, I am Josh Homme. You are my legal counsel okay. right now. We're uh-huh. going through, okay, just for preface, the lead singer Queen Stone Age dude, Josh Homme, is going through kind of a bad divorce right now. Yeah. They're already divorced. Yeah, they're, they're it's a, super a custody divorced. battle. Yeah, yeah. So the restraining orders left and right. But what, having your experience in family law, what do you think of the subtext of you know the boys restraining order against him? Like the daughter's restraining order went through. Like how screwed is Josh, or how does how does it look optic wise when you're reading something about you? See, you've seen the Dean Fertitta. No. You know? So like the the one kind of weirder one, which is kind of like if you're with your best friend after a football game or something, but like 
uh, he's sitting there with his uh, Queen's of Standage bandmate and his 10-year-old son, and he's just kind of like messing, like, I guess he's like doing a little tap tap in like, what's up, like man? A dick Balls. Tap. Yeah, like a dick yeah. tap and stuff. But obviously the does the ten year old know how to twist that? Like there's here's a, so here's yeah. so so I've had a lot of conversations about this because I don't talk to buddies in other bands. And you, politically, I, I'm I'm less middle of the road than you. I'm pretty heavily progressive, pretty heavily quote unquote woke. I get a lot of shit for you know, but I have seen so this is going to be a long right turn. If but you're so it's okay. all right. This is no, going no, to be a no, long no. voyage. I, I, I wish we could have wrote out scripts, bro. Well, I wanted well, to play, this is not. Know. This doesn't have to be the only inter- interview we ever do. But uh, let, but I'm glad you brought this up because I want to talk about this. So, uh, and I'm going to start off what sounds like on a tangent, but I'll bring it back around. So, uh, I got asked to uh, represent a bunch of Black Lives protesters up in Newport Ritchie, and they were cited with this ordinance that I don't think has ever been issued as a citation against anybody before. So these officers during this protest broke out this fucking ordinance that's never been used for these people on megaphones doing Black Lives Matters protests across the street are the Proud Boys on megaphones screaming at them, all this other stuff. They don't get cited. Black Lives Matters protesters get it. So it comes to me through the ACLU attorneys up there and we all we all get involved and if you don't know Luke Leroux, you should follow mm. Luke Leroux. Luke Leroux is is kind of our local Noam Chomsky. He's our oh. local poli- legal. Oh, yeah? He's our legal Noam Chomsky. So just to give you, I'm going to be all over the place here, but I oh, promise. Bring it on, dude. It's all good. So Luke, I met Luke when I was a prosecutor over in Pinellas County, and my wife uh, did ordinance court. So at that time, it was when the sheriff was shutting down all the strip clubs because the girls were wearing tea backs. Gross. And uh, yeah. Horrible, horrible. And the uh, Gandy Bridge out in the groves, you'd go out and get, you know, you'd get a little bit of, a little, a little bit of more. business. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they go the extra mile. Yeah. It was, it was the, the the premium service. But in any event, at that time, there was actually deputies whose job it was would be to walk around out in the mangroves and get solicited for handies, Fun. or to go to these strip clubs and try and get lap dances where the girls would offer more or they would cite people because the cleavage of the nates of the buttocks were not covered. That was the legal language. The cleavage of the nates of the buttocks had to be covered. Nice. Jerry Falwell wrote that. (laughs) So Luke Leroux was the attorney uh, as well as uh, Roger Curlin, who's David Curlin's father. Yeah. yeah. So they represented all the strip clubs and then he represented Redner and then he Hmm. became involved with Redner and all the marijuana litigation you know redner's been really kind of leading the charge on private citizens ability to grow medical marijuana because mm. right now the way that the legislation is written there's only like five places that of can course, do medical man. marijuana because that's how you're going to make your fucking well, big guys get their pound of right flash. right right yeah. your squillions of dollars so luke Leroux represented redner there he fought scientology when Uber and Lyft came into town, I got tapped by Uber and Lyft to represent all the drivers because they were citing them for driving around without taxi medallions or without mm. the certification. So anytime there's some weird constitutional law issue, Luke Leroux is brought in on it. But back back to the Black Lives Matter. So uh, Black Lives Matter, I'm doing this and I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm fighting the man. I'm helping the cause and all this other stuff. And this is right around the time of the last election, Biden and Kamala against Trump and Pence. And so uh, I started becoming Facebook friends with these people. And uh, at some point along the way, they posted a picture of Kamala and it said in bold letters under it, it said, she's still a cop. At the end of the day, she's still a cop. 
And so I posted on there. And I was like, you know, as a former prosecutor myself, I was like, well, she's not a cop. She's a prosecutor. But does just the mere fact that someone's a police officer or a prosecutor make them shit? And I got lit up for fucking 48 hours. ACAB, all cops are bastards. Them trolling my page. Please, right. please, white man, tell me more about that. Like, you kind of look like a cop, too, you know. Well, undercover. For sure. no, I'm just kidding. I, it could be. Um, but <laughs> I felt like fucking, I, I don't even know who, I felt like Don Jr. Like by the end of right, that, I was right. like, I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> I don't know anything. I have no. I have no reason to speak on anything right. like, you know, so where does that, where does this relate to Hami? So we've gotten it. It's, it's, it's such a phrase that I don't even like to say anymore because it's talked about so much, but you talk about cancel culture. So, sure. mm -hmm. so I was feeling in that moment, like all it took was me to ask why Kamala was being relegated to the sidelines as a prosecutor mm -hmm. for me to be called every fucking thing in the world, you right. know? And I was just like, Okay, well, there's a there is a darkness on the edge of the liberal town here. I mean, right. there is kind of going too far. So, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, Ryan yes. Adams, trailblazers. Well, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you think about if if we had cell phones and we had the social media twenty four seven news back when mm. Mick Jagger was. 20 yeah. or Bowie was 20 or Hendrix was 20 Heard or yeah. any of these people, like a lot of our heroes who were lucky enough to die before they got in the crosshairs of all this stuff. Oh yeah, man. They, they would be, I, I don't think Hami's any worse than these people. So this is sure. the point that I'm making. So getting, getting to Hami, I have a unique and intimate relationship here. Number one, I've been a stone age since, since very early. I was, I was a Caius fan. I remember getting by oh, yeah. Caius at a, what was the uh, Asylum Records out in St. Pete? I, oh, cool. I, you know, before Queens of the Stone Age even existed. But the thing with Hami is he's kind of a dick. Like totally, he runs hot. Like yeah. he, there's there's no there's no shortage of stories of him kind of throwing his weight around. And you hear, yeah. did you ever watch the documentary from The Devil and Jesse Hughes or whatever? The guy from Queens of the Stone Age. No, I'm oh, sorry, from Eagles of Death Metal. Okay, so he and Jesse Hughes, they're, they're good buddies. Like, they grew up yeah. out in the desert, and mm -hmm. Hughes was kind of a nerdy, gawky kid. And he's got all these stories about Hami kind of swinging in and busting heads about right. and you could probably spend two nights watching youtube clips of Hami, you know screaming at hecklers screaming at people that he's perceived to have been too violent in the pit there's the very famous episode where he kicked the he was kicking everything that right night. so yeah. i he clearly has substance issues Big and time. anger yeah. issues so i don't doubt for one minute he can be tough to be around as a kid or a spouse or whatever okay so we'll put that in that bucket. Let's skip over to the other bucket. Brody Dahl, who his his wife was in a alleged violent relationship with Tim Armstrong from Rancid before she ever met Josh right. Homme, and I think has accused him of a lot of the same stuff at the end of their right. relationship to the point where Homme was like threatening Tim Armstrong. So then it becomes, well, what's the common denominator here? Like, right. like, are you seeking out these men or is this kind of the game that you play towards the, when things aren't going as well right. as they go? I mean, these injunctions are always written in the worst by the, by a, the author are being written to get granted. 
Mm-hmm. So everything is being written in the most persuasive fashion. You know, I mean, have I put my hand on the back of my son's neck before? Sure. Have I flicked their ear? I mean. Monster. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Take them away from me. But I mean, you're, how old are you? Uh, 37. So, I mean, touching dicks, you start to get into a gray area there. But, you know, I, I don't think he was doing it sexually. I think he was yeah. probably like. You know, when I used to play- How much clout does something like that have when it comes between, you know, like a judge or someone ruling in that case? Like, how do you think it'll go for him? It depends on the judge. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a very similar situation to this yesterday. I was out in front of uh, Fusan out in uh, uh, Plant City, who knows your dad. I, he almost had to recuse himself off of a case. He know, I, I, think, I think your dad might have supported him getting on the bench in some fashion. Oh, wow. But I had a situation with a mom who was like, he put our our one-year-old in a in an infant swing at a- playground that has a sign that says no unsupervised whatever two to five and it's like he put him in a fucking swing like really that's what we're doing and she's like he was throwing him up and down and he played the video and he's kind of going like this and it's like you know so Mm -hmm. this sensational and to have kids write it it's not uncommon to have parents kind of author it for the kids now i was gonna say like is there even like a professional realm where someone dictates it like you know whether it's a lawyer oh or sure i have who... clients who will come in and i'm sorry i know i've talked for the better part of 30 minutes but it's yeah awesome. no i have clients come in and i'll draft it for them and mm-hmm. i'm drafting it to get it granted now does that mean it's the truth or not the truth well i don't know whether it's the truth or not the truth because i'm never there when it happens right. so we have these people verify these pleadings saying that everything mm-hmm. in here is true and accurate are they full of shit or not full of shit? I don't know. But I mean, I've had situations as an attorney where it was like, you know, I I don't know that I could put my name on well, this. I, I definitely empathize with almost like everyone in the situation because Josh is in a tough situation, you know, where he's gone a lot. You come, you know, and that in itself is like isolating and you get siloed relationships with the kids. And I'm sure wild guess that he might fuck around based on reading his lyrics. Mm-hmm. But um, so you come home and you kind of split off. So I just feel like it's always like – I. I saw that Anthony Bourdain documentary and Josh was on it and he was saying like how he was talking and being like, Hey man, we need to get our kids like out of the home and take them around the world so they can see like who we are like in our element. Cause they're just kind of vagabonds drifting in the wind anyway, just like that kind of artist soul. And so like, I know that I just feel like it'd be really easy to demonize a dude like that when he's totally gone. And then he's kind of a disconnect when he is home. So I, I I, 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 it's very difficult and you don't see it done well too often for people to occupy both worlds. You I know? Can, like when I was in a touring band for a little while, man, it was, it's just tough being on the road playing like dives and Corpus Christi and stuff like that. Just well, like, and it's okay to start drinking at 11 and be out till <laughs> two, whatever. Then you get home. It's like, no, we've got soccer in the morning or can you help sure. with the laundry mm-hmm. or, you know, you, you got to feed them something healthy. You can't just fucking give them macaroni and cheese. All the time. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very jarring, uh, difference between the world. So I, I, I'm disheartened. I'm saddened by it because he is a hero of mine. I mean, right. as far as guitar pit players and vocalists, he's top two for me. Like, you know, he's I, super unique, man. Everything from songwriting to vocal performance, but the, those leads are like really cool. First time I saw them live, I was like, Oh shit! They kind of like do the jam band thing a little bit and let him float out there, and well, it's, it's really cool. I mean, they came from Speed Freaks out in the desert yeah. playing these generator parties, so he started right. off on a much hard, harder thing. But he's always had this flirtation with turning stereotypes on their head. I mean, he even talks about Queens of the Stone Age was him trying to like fuck with the the homophobe metal oh, totally. mentality, and 
you know, he, he, you know, his vocals are very effeminate a lot of times. I mean, he gets pretty high pitched. No, he sings. He's got a great falsetto. And then with his guitar, the the best, and I've sent you this clip and I know you've seen it, but it's that, uh, uh, vice noise clip that he does with Matt Sweeney from, uh, Gomez. Oh, true. Yeah. And he talks about how he either removes notes from scales or does half notes. From yeah. Scales. I know exactly what you're talking and about. And it always, and he calls it kind of a uh, carnival or a cabaret type of thing. And he's like, I always picture my guitar solos. Someone's taking off their hat and like tipping it to somebody. <laughs> right. And it's true. When you listen to Little Sister or listen to, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. they always kind of veer off a little bit. And so between him and then Frushanti just yeah, basically aping and then trying to improve upon Hendrix and all of his tones and guitar. You That's know. another one that like he's he's so great on the records, but he doesn't translate until you really see him live because he just like takes over the show. I've never seen him live. That's a bucket list. Oh, for dude, me. it's it's pretty amazing to watch. Actually, it's he's just, brilliant. I mean, yeah. he's like a Johnny Greenwood or I mean, just right. kind of like. Mm-hmm. He's up in a lighthouse by himself, just fucking coming up with shit that no one's thought of. And now he's doing all this uh, electronic music. But um, it's, it's probably you got to forge your dope habit. man. It's weird. Know? It's weird how that's where these musicians go, because that's what happened to Tom York. That's what happened to Frushanti. And it's funny. I had a friendship that just ended with Trey Azagoth from uh, Morbid Angel. He was uh, supposed to be on the show, but then we started talking politics yeah. and, and he wouldn't come on. But that's what he does. He does like all this dark wave synth wave stuff now. And I was just like. I guess get you you get to a certain point with your guitar where you don't Apparently that anymore. was the issue with Axel too. Like Axel Rose got really into nine inch nails, like after really? User Illusion 2. And so like he was just like, Oh fuck it, I don't want to play this style of music anymore. I want to get into the industrial side of things. And obviously Slash is, you know, Al Jorgensen, right? Yeah. <laughs> how do you how how do you rectify present day Axel Rose with early Axel Rose? I mean, he was this I think he got his meds right, man. I just think he seems like a more jovial dude. Like, well, now he looks like a soccer mom, but back in the day, he was <laughs> just this snake on stage and just yeah. his fucking vocals. And I mean, you couldn't algorithm a more perfect rock band than Guns and. R- it was funny. I was watching your one of your Zoots things that you that's on YouTube. You guys are. I think you're doing. It's not. It's not Almond Brothers. Um, one of one of those old Southern boogie. Yeah, things, yeah, yeah. But... and you guys are running back and forth on the stage. Oh was... yeah, yeah, wireless yeah. mics. That's yeah. probably a Freebird thing. Yeah, but where was I going for Freebird? Oh, Southern rock. No, K-pop. I don't know what I was thought, where I was going, but in any in, in any event, um, oh, more perfect band. Um, yeah, I mean they just, but they they burn out. So I mean, really, they were one album. I mean, you could talk about Use Your Illusion, but I mean, oh, I love those, bro. Like songs, like even. I, I might like two more than one. Um, stuff like Estranged is like such epic songs. But that know? would have been a brilliant s- single album. For sure. Like there was a little bit of extra fat. On, I'm sure on there's the some some marketing and uh, people on the supply chain wanted to get their bites out of that. Sure like, doing Terminator 2 soundtracks. It's funny. I was actually reading last night when I couldn't sleep because I, I got a newborn at home. One of those like um, Kirk Hammett interview, actually, where he was talking about having to be the peacemaker between Axl Rose and Kirk Cobain fighting backstage because he was like buddies with both of them. So he was trying, you know, Kirk, he's like such like a, hey, man, like, let's just chill out. So it was, it was funny to hear like his take because because Axl just wanted to fucking destroy Kurt. He was well, and by the way, what a great kind of, you know illustration of what was going on musically right then yeah dude those three bands i guess they wanted nirvana to open up that tour that metallica 
And like uh, Kurt, um, Kurt Cobain turned it down because he didn't like Guns N' Roses. He didn't like Axel. So like that got back to Axel and he was just like, all right, man, bring it. Well, I mean, philosophically, they can't, you know, whereas right, Nirvana right. Is very, was very kind of socially aware, you know, mm-hmm. they weren't singing about, you know, 10 women, you know, they were singing, right. you know, whatever the thing was. And then Metallica has just kind of always bridged all gaps. It's like, sure. It's like, you want some Hemingway? Here you go. Yeah. We're never going to be the most, you know, important band, but we're always going to be there. Like we're, we're never going. I was just watching them on Kimmel this week and I was like. It's hard for me to rectify present day um, James Hetfield with, you know, from from back in the day. Right, right. Getting I miss so f- I miss his bangs, you know. Oh yeah, bangs like that era. Yeah, I guess he still had wrap it there. around shades. He's got a picture in his uh, um, studio right now of them at Tampa Stadium, about ready to crush it. Probably on like eighty nine and Justice for All tour. It's pretty awesome. Have you seen that? Have you seen the? It's a meme and it's like Metallica and then Metallica fans and it's. Headfield standing outside of like Prada in Italy with like shorts and flip flops on, and then the Metallica fan is all blacked out with metal. Perfect, dude. Yeah. So, all right. So you're, you you get out of college, you get into politics. Why do you get out of politics? Who doesn't? Who, who likes politics, man? I mean, like we're bombarded with it at all times. Like, but you figured that out pretty quickly. That's yeah. kudos to you. Oh, dude, it's it's rough, man. Well, it's just like I work in local politics, and you always think it's going to be a lot more classy. But there, there's so much shady stuff that even goes on there. But, but I definitely gravitate more towards the federal level. Like I'm a big foreign policy type of person. So a lot of the books I read have to do with a lot of the uh, stuff that doesn't usually go reported on on the on the news. That's that's fascinating to me. Is your is your wife into this or no? Not at all. Do you have do you have an outlet? Do you have someone? To talk no, about this? I, I need a, I need to get a job for a think tank. I'll be that person like for that. you because yeah. I need that person too. Oh, I need man. someone to 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 you know pull the knife yeah, away from yeah. the from the artery. Um, so you talked about bands. I mean, apart and aside from Zoots, you've got Moon Thing. What are some other? I want to get to Moon Thing, but what are some other big big you know bands that yeah. at least in your timeline that you've been involved in? So growing up, and I, I had a kind of a music partner, this guy Mark Hawkins, who is one of the dirtiest dudes. <laughs> but it just it broke my heart. Like a couple of years ago, he had a bad stint in Nashville, and he kind of like hung it up. Oh no! But so I, I always grew up playing bands with him, and so we were in this band, Eating Infinity, which I think was one of the better. Um, she, we were kind of like contemporaries with bands like Sorcerer and like Fatal. This is probably like two thousand eight, two thousand nine ish. The dude actually was the bassist from Sorcerers, this guy Mike Leon, who's been in a whole bunch of bands like The Absence, but he plays in Soulfly. He's been playing in Soulfly oh, wow. for two and a half years. So he he literally is like, you gets to play in a band with like his idol like growing up. Yeah. I know, man. So like he's there, they're back on the road. So we were really dirty. We were lucky to have a lot of um, great drummers, which obviously you, you probably know from playing in the genre. It's a, it's a must. We had a we had a killer lead singer that was based out in Ocala, and that just kind of like you know bands are always personnel, and it's hard it's hard to keep it together when like yeah I'll blame everything on the drummers right drummers are pricks man yeah so sorry, we sorry, Kevin. kind of from there we ventured out into playing shred acoustic stuff so we still had the heavy metal drummer and we taking back to what I was saying about the Gainesville acoustic guys we always had this internal joke and we called them John acoustic guy which is pretty much the dude at a party that breaks out an acoustic guitar that no one really wants to like be playing. And uh, so we started a band it was called- It's like a role model at yeah. camp where he's trying to play and he can't figure the chords out. So we started a band called John Acoustic Guys. 
and uh, put, put out a record I actually bought for you, man. It's, it's pretty sick. We've got a couple but, uh, here. We're going to yeah. be one of the foremost distributors of this album and <laughs> uh, the Tampa Heights. So. Yeah. And then um, fr from there, I just kind of bopped around like when, when Mark quit music and I fell in with this new um, – after David Bowie died – I met this fella doing a David Bowie tribute. We were up at New World Brewery, and we were the guys that showed up to practice that learned our parts like inside and out. I think we were playing like I'm Afraid of Americans oh, wow. and uh, Fame. So I learned like all three guitar parts for Fame and was kind of learning it. I didn't choose the songs. You know? No, it's great. I, I, the, it, I, I'm very much all over the place, but I, I just – I, I love just... that record though. Like what, what's Fame? It's the last one on um, Young Americans. Yeah. Yeah. I just found out that Tin Machine covered a Pixie song. Oh, very cool. Did you know that Bowie covered a Pixie song? Was I did a, not. Bowie uh, was a huge Pixies fan. Oh, very cool. That's, that's, makes, that sounds makes, right. Makes them both cooler in my, yeah, in my sure. estimate. It's a net positive for I both I see of them. that bridge from like Bowie to Pixies to Nine Inch Nails because like sure. him being a big like uh, Reznor fan Reznor and fan, stuff yeah. like that. So did you ever flirt with the idea of that being your living? I, I couldn't, I didn't cut it on the road, man. Like I, I always like, I love nothing more than playing live. Like I, I should probably record a lot more. So I, I write you music look, all the time. Man. You have so much fun doing it. It's fun to watch you. Like you're, you're, it's like, it's like, it's your first time. Every time I've seen you play live, it's like, I don't mean from a talent perspective, but it's like, you're like a fucking kid in a candy oh, store dude, up there the just best, running man. around. It's and, like. I just like I've always felt I've always connected to people that appear that way live, but it's really easy for me. I just kind of feel like uh, like a care bear or something. Like I'm trying to shoot kinetic energy and get get people going, but like I genuinely You're the Scotty Pippen to everybody in the yeah. band. You're just fucking dude. I generally you know, have so much fun, man. It's it's just the best playing live. I feel like that's the pulse. Like it's so hard. You know, people aren't putting out records anymore. They're not really selling. Um, but playing live, man, that's just like your finger on the pulse of like what what's going on and. Uh, I, just, I respond to it so much. I just still love it so much. I'm like a happy guy. So I, I so I knew you from Zoots originally. And then as I got to start texting you, I forget how that started. But at some point you dropped Moon Thing on me. And so I go and check it out and was just overjoyed because, number one, it's not like, you know, there's kind of this middle lane that a lot of bands here occupy. And it's like not bad. It's good stuff. But it's like, okay. Okay, we're doing the hardcore thing and we're doing the whatever mm -hmm. thing. And then you, you give me Moon Thing and I was like, holy shit, this is like Black Rebel, Rebel Motorcycle Club, The Cramps, fucking Dickie Dale, just, just, uh, you know, the surf dark kind of. Yeah. Do the, um, the lead singer of the band is this, this girl, Julia Fox, and she's married to the drummer Jeff, who was the dude I met at the Bowie tribute. Uh -huh. And she is totally raw, never played in a band, never a musician. She like went to film school, but she is like a genuine artist and she has, she has it. So it's she just does like, have it. Her voice yeah. is sick. Dude, it, but it's totally raw, man. It's like, which fucking kills me because I've been working yeah. so hard to still sound like dog shit. And, and <laughs> that, yeah, that's, 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 that's awesome. But it's anyway, keep going. No, I'm just saying it's funny because we all have to like woodshed and practice. So we're like crack the whip on her to do it because she's just like such a natural at it. But like sky's the limits for her, man. I mean, she's, like I said, this is her first band. We played like four live shows because of COVID slowing things down. And to mention uh, you've had three kids in the past however many years. Yeah, dude, I got three kids that you are. You just had one weeks ago. Yeah, man, it was a couple of weeks ago, which is as you, as you know, such a far out experience. There's nothing more powerful than than seeing that. Well, <laughs> looking looking directly into uh, the eye looking of the into storm, the void. You, you know, look. Yeah. You look. What is this, the Hell Nietzsche yeah, thing? Bro. You 
you look into the well and sometimes the well looks back into you. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> bingo, dude. Um, so you have a so you have a, a zero year old, and then what's your oldest? Three. So that's the one that my son's class. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how has kids changed your music career? <laughs> you know, I was really worried before the birth of my first son. Like, I just felt like it could be a watershed moment where, like, I wouldn't have. Like, I, I'm an obsessive musician, man. It's it's almost like a curse a little bit. Where like, I write at least one or two songs a day. I kind of start out my day doing that, but like. And the thirst is like never quenched, man. It's just like, I, I kind of get it out. I get that monkey on my back, but like, I'll never just to keep speaking in euphemisms. Like I I'm it. never going to chase the, I'm never going to catch the dragon, man. It's just like, I do it. And then like, I could play it like one of those Zootsmith gigs and do like a six hour gig. And then right when I'm done, it's just like, I did What's nothing. Next? I want to do. Yeah. Next. So it's just it's like, like a drug. It, it is. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. So I was so worried I was going to lose that with like the birth of my son. It just psychologically, I could see it coming like a ship on the horizon where I was like, will this change me instinctually? Cause obviously you have to prioritize that. And honest, honestly, man, it's like sped it up. It's just like, I can't, I simultaneously live like as family man and as like habitual like artist because i just like i can't shake that side of me and i i love it so much and getting your kids to uh feel comfortable holding a guitar playing a piano and just be excited about it is it's a very rewarding thing so two things too that i've sensed is one is you're home a lot more than you probably used or you yeah. have to be home so you can kind of watch them and play your guitar or watch them and so it's kind of something you can be doing while you're being dad. So there's that mm -hmm. part of it. But then if it didn't make the colors and the taste and the smells a whole lot richer after having them, like I feel like I can, I actually have stuff to write about now. Like before my parents died and before I had kids, like, you know, not to sound, you know, condescending, but it's like, what, what are you writing about? You know, yeah. you, you broke up with somebody or you fucking like, sorry, sorry about you. Sorry about your luck. But as you kind of start to check off some of the bigger boxes in life that people go through, it gives you a perspective. It gives you a depth of understanding. And I mean, the love for my children, like, first off, I, I, I couldn't conceive of how you can love more than one person as much as you love, let's say, your wife. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, this is, this is my fucking world. Like, you're everything. And now you look at your wife and you're like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what love really is. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just about, no. Yeah, but no. then, so, but then I had my daughter and I was like, what would you have? I your... do. I have, I have a boy, girl, boy. So love. So you got. Having a daughter is the best. Oh man. my God. Like too, everybody, man. you know, all the, all the, the, the jock friends are like, you want a boy? So you get, it's like, right, it's like right. whatever. I don't, you know, but I had her and I was like, oh my God. Like it's I fucking best. love you. Like I yeah. love you. Like, and, and then it was like, this is weird. Cause my wife's kind of like, you got to pay attention to me still. And it's, so it's like, oh, what do I do here? And now I have my son who is just my bro. Like it's just. He is me to a t like my daughter is my wife and my mm -hmm. son is me. We go to the beach, we go to Anna Maria, and my wife and daughter daughter will get get up at eight and be at the beach from eight a.m. to eight p.m. They're like, "Do you guys want to go?" It's like, well, "We'll come out there for like a minute, but we want to sit in the air conditioning and watch Netflix and fucking just <laughs> yeah. chill out." And that's that's him and I. So that's kind of our different worlds. But getting back to the point of how you know asking a change, one is you've got more time to play where you don't maybe not feel guilty about it because you're actually watching your kids or whatever. Yeah, and I feel like at this point it's not about being a tiger mom because they're super young. I just want them to like see me having fun playing music 
and then kind of naturally gravitate towards it. So they get the Don't push muscle memory. Yeah, for exactly. Sure, for sure. And how are they doing? Is is the three year old picked it up at all? Like totally. The uh, the do- my daughter who's like one and a half, she's gonna be awesome. Like really? she just oh yeah, she she. she yells at me from across the house to come watch her play and stuff like that. That's that's brilliant. So, uh where did where did getting married fall within your musical? So, to kind of have the full arc of the conversation, <clears throat> um I I dated uh, my wife Krista is like so awesome. We're like very different people and it's one of those opposites attracts, but like her best qualities and my best qualities I feel like make that, you know, kind of perfect human. And we dated for the longest time. And um, one of the, just to be a little bit of a, of a bummer, the uh, darker days of my life was like 4th of July, like nine years ago, we're having a party is, is at um, my dad's place has got a cool place in the water, you know, boats, all that type of stuff. And um, my buddy Zoots was over with me and we were hanging out and we were just out riding boats and he fell off his and it turned around and, and, and ran over him. And I had to like dive in and look, look for him. Um, and then had to, you know, couldn't find the dude. And I'd eventually go back and tell everyone like his sister was at the party. All of our best friends were at the party. And I, I remember one of the weirder amongst the pain and chaos of that. I had this really strong feeling of like, I want to get married. Like it was like an instinctual type of now thing. Now it's time to stop fucking around. Like, yeah, it was like, it totally was like, uh, this is a moment of clarity amongst like chaos. It was really wild. So like after that, I kind of, um, start veering in that direction of, uh, having drifting away from nihilism at that point. So I that's guess, where Zoots you know? comes from. Yeah. So he's one of those, he is the, um, you know, we all older we get, the more buddies we lose. And, the unique thing about him, and I'm sure lots of this happens to a lot of people because it's one of those only the good die young, is he was like the alpha of the friend group. You know, he was like everyone's favorite person and he had like several different friend groups. So everyone was kind of in disarray of how to put themselves back together after that, which is- the North Star. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Like handsome, witty. He had a very um sweet James Earl Jones-esque like baritone voice, but- he, his dad always taught him he got two ears and one mouth. So he was very potent with like his words and wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, like yak all the time, but hysterical dude. So what, what makes it easy with planning the Zootsmith gig every year is that's the beacon. It's like, we come to honor him. It's awesome. And play it makes his favorite. Yeah, yeah. His, his favorite music, which is why you'll hear Mastodon. It's, it's actually kind of funny at early Zootsmiths when we used to play at the old Yeomans on Davis Island, teeny tiny place. We would, um, I was really all about like, I do, we got to do like his favorite shit. Let's do the entire Alice Chains Unplugged album. Yeah, yeah. And, but it would like bum, like everyone out, like the right. people, like the parents would yeah, come Alice and they, they don't even know. Music, yeah. So like halfway through Frogs, they're just like, oh Jesus, what is yeah. going on right now? We got, a, we got the babysitter. So we kind of started getting more, um, <laughs> sprinkling it in there. But the concept is always, let's play the best songs ever written that don't get played that much live. And if it needs five guitarists, let's get five guitarists on it and just kind of fill it out. So like the goal is always, there's all these bucket list ones like this year, we're trying to get Paranoid Android in there, which is a really tough one. Like I'm working on like the Heartbreaker solo. So it's just like fun learning the Jimmy Page slop at like super ball breaking and like acoustic wise. I'm learning that uh, 
Fleetwood Mac, uh, Big Love that Lindsey Buckingham does. So it's basically it's an opportunity for everyone to showcase putting an effort for a long term goal musically. And uh, it's a giant catharsis for, for everyone who plays. Well, I, you know, that's something that didn't even occur to me to, to just now. I mean, you're having to learn Lindsey Buckingham songs, Tony Iommi songs, Robert Plant songs. Love it, bro. You know, it's yeah. like these are all brilliant guitarists who don't fucking remotely sound like the other one, you know. I no, mean, that's what makes it so fun. I mean, man. Lindsey Buckingham, I, I, you know, Fle- you get it. Not everybody gets my love of Fleetwood Mac, but I mean... If you if you watch videos of them in the early seventies, I mean they are just again the prototype, just drugs. It's beautiful though, man. they're all gorgeous. They're all screwing each other. Yeah. They're all mad at each other. They're all mm-hmm. high. They're all amazing musicians. You've got these English blues rock band that meets this weird singer songwriter in Sound City, yeah. and they fucking join up and just make. One of the all-time perfect albums ever. It just, Those early albums are so good sonically, man. It's, it's it's so satisfying to listen to. And that's the kind of thing I had um, with my mom growing up. Like, she was a big Fleetwood fan. And actually, she took me in sixth or seventh grade to that dance tour. Like, oh, yeah. When they got back together. Post, I, I, uh, I, 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 I always tell this story, too. I was in UCF, and I was working at the arena. And I fed them their dinner before they played at the nice. arena. You're like and cutting I, steak for and stuff. Fucking you know? <laughs> shitty ass prime rib and Caesar salad. And yeah. Mick Fleetwood, Lindsay. I mean, they're all just I bet walking John around John McVee me. could put away some fucking food. Oh, yeah. I think he was <laughs> off in the corner fucking banging down some Miller Lite or whatever. Yeah. whatever hey, make love and fun. Yeah. But I got to sit up in the box and watch basically the whole show Killer, by myself. Dude. And it was brilliant. So mm-hmm. anyway. Well, so uh, what year is this going to be for the Zoots? I think we're getting on year 10, man. It's just that he's, he's been gone for that long. And uh, actually, since you check it out sometime after the interview, um, every song that we've played over the course of the Zoots Miss, we're, we're almost at like 400 now. You know I have a Spotify. A Spotify, Spotify. Oh, dude, you Spotify. sent that to me. That's right. Yeah, I need to add to it. I'm going to take yeah. that list and add to it. And I'm just going to start do. circulating it. But uh, so Crowbar. Crowbar. All right. Tom, you, Tom so and you are best, locked dude. in. Yeah. Well, Tom's the best. So. That's badass. And the Moon Thing, are, they, are you guys doing anything with that? Yeah, right absolutely. Now? I mean, it, it's all one of those. Um, people are very cautious about COVID in that particular band. I, I wish I could play more. I, I definitely, I love playing out more than anything. But um, so we're kind of reactionary to that. But we're definitely, we got like eight new songs in the bucket. We're constantly writing. The, the really cool thing about that band is everyone's a musician. Like the drummer, like, Wrote, the, the the songs you heard were written by the drummer and the singer. So, like, since then, our bassist is a dude I used to play in a lot of metal bands with. But he, he plays he plays bass like a bassist, though. I'll give him that. Um, and he writes a lot. So, like, the set is basically, it all jives, like, sonically, but everyone writes. So, it's just, it's one of those, we have, like, a large... Was there a discussion Swap. of what that band was going to be before it existed? Like, did someone say, here's our influences? Or did you guys just kind of... I think, like, she had the idea of bringing, like, she she, she sees a lot of it in, in her head, where whether she's, like, a big um, David Lynch person. So she kind of has that, you know, Tarantino soundtrack, the darker, a lot of the heavy reverb, like, surf rock. But mixed with a uh, psychedelia and kind of like so Velvet Underground vibes of what um which is funny because the drummer bassist and me are all like 
Soundgarden grunge, like Queens of Stone yeah, Age, metal guys. Kill it, man. But, uh, what's the yeah. one where it's the four of you in the four corners of the screen? You're playing the SG. Yeah, yeah, that song. I think it's called Rabbits. Badass, badass. Yeah. And so, the, are those the two things right now? Zoots and Moon things, or do you have something else? Yeah, going? the long, the the Zootsmas is always like I pretty much learn like ten, let's say like ten songs a week anyway. Like I'll just having fun and like oh, I want to learn the entire Nirvana Incesticide album today. So I kind of like. At a red light, <laughs> learning a song. So, like, I always just kind of um, have the long-term goal of applying some of those to the Zoots Miss gig, and everyone just kind of has their time to do that, and then constantly just riding for Moon Thing. Or, by the way, you and I are going to play live. That's right, or right? Nick Cave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you'd really turn me on to him. I didn't know a lot of the piano songs I write are actually remind me a lot of his original oh, for music. Sure. It's kind of. Uh, the, those droney like uh, left hand on the piano super low with uh so I, i'm digging the hell out of that but i look forward to getting you out man because in, in regards to uh prisoner hostage man you might as well get a few little gigs under your belt before you go out there and put it all out on one gig i, I don't disagree and what's funny yeah. is is i haven't i haven't done a trial like a jury trial in mm -hmm. years and years and years so there used to be a time where i was the cock of the walk and i would right. walk in and fucking have no problem but you get rusty and I hadn't done it in a while. And I started teaching at UT two weeks ago. And in my mind, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of exercising. Sure. I'm not singing, but I'm in front of them and I'm, and I got fucking nervous and I'm just like, you know, and then it's a good nervous though. Well, right? it, it, for sure. You're, yeah. you're, you're expanding your experience, your working muscles that you had before. Bingo. And then, so when we started rehearsing, you know, I've never been in a band before. And so as the singer, I'm showing up and I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, I, you guys haven't even written a song yet. So I, for a lot of practice, I'm just sitting there and like, well, that sounds cool. Or maybe mm -hmm. do this or whatever. And so then the first practice that I actually sang at, it was a big hill for me to get over. Not and bad. I fucked my voice up. And I was like, I got to spend some time figuring out how to do this without just completely destroying my throat. So I started, you know, I've been doing lessons every week with Anthony Nuccio and I bought that Melissa Cross, the Zen of oh, yeah. you know, screaming and all this stuff. And there's oh, so shit. much, yeah, I know that. Right, so right. much mm -hmm. to it, so much more to singing than I would yeah. have ever guessed. You're so cranking out those scales, the ma na 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 me. Oh, oh, it's so embarrassing. It's funny. Man, I do wee wees. Wee wee wee. Ask any staff <laughs> member here at five o'clock on they Wednesdays. Love you, huh? They hear me, they're like, uh, Jesus, what are you dude. doing in there? But in any event, a couple more things before we wrap up. Uh, first off, um, first concert, best concert. Uh, I've started oh, getting there with people. Fun. Um, so um, first concert. First concert was the Righteous Brothers in Las Vegas when I was like eight years old. Family trip. A family trip, and they crushed it. Yeah, yeah oh, dude, I loved it, man. I mean, you don't make it to Vegas if you're dog shit. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're hiring people that they right, know will, right. will turn out a crowd. So good, dude. Was um, that was that a was that, was that was, no Righteous Brothers? Was that uh, Top Gun? Was that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You lost. Was the that a, so eight? What year was that? Oh, good. You're eight. Uh, what year? Ninety-one or two. So they were treading there. on the Top for Gun sure, fucking sure. resurgence there. Yeah, that, uh, and then best show, or you can do two shows. I mean, I'm not no, gonna... I mean I've, I've been to so many. Man, Zoots and I used to go to so many gigs together. We've seen wild shows. Um, it's really tough to choose one, man. I thought Lateralis tour was great. Um, Every time I get a ticket, I can't see them. The last time oh, was because really? of COVID. The time before that was in Orlando, and it was someone's wedding. Ah, they're so special. Fucking man. a man. Yeah, they are. Um, I guess Maynard got COVID like twice or three times, dude, but he's I a, digress. He's a Rogan. He's a, you know, they're probably all <laughs> tranquilizing each other and everything. Yeah. Other yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really tough one, man. I've, I've been lucky to see like a lot of little bands, you know, coming up that got huge. Like I remember seeing, 
you know, some, even, even with something like Slipknot at the old Masquerade, like rooms that can't contain someone. I think I hear someone, about the Slipknot. Is that, is that the one you were at with Chris? There's yeah. some show that you and he and your brother, like. Yeah. Dude, oh, shit. That was one of them. Actually, that was. I, he, Probably uh, no one wants to tell that story. No, <laughs> that, for some reason, the dream theater pops in my head, like the scenes from a memory tour. But um, I really loved that uh, Songs for the Deaf because they had. Uh, Dave was drumming. They had Mark Lanigan, like he would just stroll out on stage, and he wasn't strung uh, out in the back. And I want to read that dude's autobiography. Me too. I already me named too. some names in it. Well, yeah. we talk about Nick Cave, and I mean mm-hmm. he, Mark Lanigan, late late stage Mark Lanigan is right yeah. there too. So that Bubblegum album is fucking epic. Yeah, yeah for real. Yeah. Um, all right, before I, I'm going to ask you if you'll play something for me, but before we get, oh, you don't have to, but if you want, if you want to. Um, but let's just talk guitars very briefly because you're a guitar fiend. Um, you recently showed me that Agstrom, which I like every yeah. night after I put my kids to bed. I just go onto that website and look at it. It's um, a cool guitar, man. And These then, are this is for the signature for the band Ghost. They were playing Gibsons for a while, but they're Swedish dudes. So Swedish company uh, picked them up. And it kind of looks like uh, a bastardized explorer. It looks like Dracula's guitar. But uh, it's a pretty quality deal. I mean, it's not a yeah. it's not a shitter. And then you've got the uh, what's what's the brand? It's I know it's Gibson, the Dave Grohl guitar. But is it what's the? Oh yeah, man, it's a it's a, it's, it's Trini Lopez. Trini Lopez, thank you. But it just pretty much looks like a three thirty five, like a Gibson, like one of the like a you know like Oasis's music videos or something sure, like that. Yeah. You know? So what's your favorite of them? Do you have a favorite? I love them. I've been, I have a lot, dude. It's, it's, it's actually slightly embarrassing just because I was always like, work a summer job and buy a guitar, you know, growing well, that's up. That's what you do when you get yeah. older and get some money. I get all the Jordans that I couldn't afford when I was a kid and same with guitar. <laughs> but well, um, it's, I love, I'm loving my SG right now so much because when I do those long gigs, I used to do them with Les Pauls and it would just be, I got my old man back. My yeah. old man back's hurting these days. So the SG's like, has sick Gibson intonation and, uh, my buddy worked the dude Charles that you love with the Opeth tattoo yeah. and Van Halen tattoo on uh, each shoulder. He worked at this sh- uh, shop in Atlanta that specializes in PRSs, uh-huh. and he talked me into getting this ridiculous like twenty four fret PRS, and it's it's butter, baby. Like it really is so nice. I I've feel got like- I've got the Mayor Silver Sky one, and I love that's that's yeah. my strat. I don't have a oh true so- yeah yeah, but so that's a I saw fun. Dean Del Rey the uh, comedian. I was actually like chatting with him online. He just got one. Well, if you, if you haven't yet, he does a two part podcast with Mayor, and regardless of whatever oh, cool. you think about Mayor, it's very interesting because well, I'm Mayor- friends with a bunch of like hippie dudes that like love like going to see Dead and Company and like. Dead and Company, I can put Dead and Company on for four hours and my kids don't bitch. Anything else yeah. I put up, my kids just fucking dig on that. Yeah. But say what you will about the music, the fucking tones that that guy gets out of a guitar. Oh, he's great. Brilliant, brilliant guitar player. I liked uh, seeing a couple gigs he did with Dave Chappelle where he would add. Oh, like, yeah. He's you playing know, kind with of Questlove. Like, and, oh, for sure, yeah. And even if it was just like he'd be the one dude with Chappelle and he would make these sonic sounds that would be like, you know, Dave's telling a story about like dropping a microphone and he'd make a, a noise on the guitar. So, I mean, like the dude is definitely. Did you see him with Frank Ocean on Saturday Night Live? No, I didn't see that. Pull the clip of him. Cool. He's playing guitar uh, off of, uh, is it Orange? Is that the name of the album? But he's playing with Frank Ocean. It's so fucking good. Oh, All right. Do you think you got a, a song, a performance, something? Oh, man. A part it's of one? To, I don't think I ever tuned this up, man. Well, give, give I, we can cut out. I can pause it or people like to listen to people tune guitars. Yeah. 
Do people like to listen to uh, bad vocals or should I just do an instrumental? Uh, bad vocals for sure. Couple intonation things on this. Yeah, it's gotta be. So down here, huh? Yeah. Well, shit, dude. I'm kind of the guy at the bar when I do open mic nights that do very offensive songs. So I'm not sure if that's going to jive well. With, with Barely uh, Legal Podcast? Yeah, it's way <laughs> okay. off brand. Okay, let's see. Barely Legal. Let's, all right, I got you now. All right, there you go. This might, this might cross the other side, though. Right, so I'm, I'm not like much of a lyricist. So I was always one of those. It's easy to like sing the chords you play. Uh-huh. So you'd be like, do you see what I'm talking about? You know, he's played the C chord. Or like, I want to add, you know, play that <laughs> chord. So my favorite chord um, out of the repertoire has always been A minor. It's very... Barely legal A minor. It's, it's very, No, but it's just like that <laughs> melancholia. Like so many great songs are written on it. Like, you know, whether it's Rhiannon or Working Class Hero or Stairway or... Fuck it, you know. So... I tell my buddies, you know, you got to sing the chords that you play. So this is one of those every potent key change I do. I kind of sing the chords. Let's see. Let's see how we go. <laughs> my favorite thing is a minor. Shoving three fingers right on her makes me see. What is a minor anyway? All I do when I sleep at night is have tons and tons of wet dreams about finding the G <laughs> spot of a minor. <laughs> and can't you see me changing now? E7, my clothes off <laughs> in front of a minor. And can't you see me changing now? E7, my clothes off. In front of a minor. It's definitely gonna be cut. <laughs> no, it's not. This is, this is gonna be the new theme song. <laughs> minor moans when you go down low. You can finger it faster, you can finger it slow. A minor. Mm. Minor moans when you go down low. You can finger it faster, you can finger it slow. A minor. Break it down. And can't you see me changing now in front of? Oh shit! I just forgot. So I'll just go. <laughs> Changing now, he's seven my clothes off in front of a minor. <laughs> I haven't played that shit in that's probably like brilliant. a year, that's, bro. That's the best ever. Right. Thank you so <laughs> Sorry, much. Sorry, y'all. No, that that was the perfect the perfect end of the perfect nice. interview. Thank you so much for making it by. I know you're exhausted as a dad, but I figured you get an hour. I could hour. string a couple sentences together, bro. I was saying I feel like a burned out Joe Walsh. Burned out Joe Walsh. Days, Have you ever bro. heard Hami do his impression of Joe Walsh before they pull him out of the crack? No, no. Oh, he always great, tells this dude. story about every time the Eagles had a reunion, how they would go pull Joe Walsh out of whatever crack that he was in. <laughs> and he would, and Hami would do the voice. It was the best. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Hey, right back at you. All buddy. right. Matt Henderson, everybody. Hey.